0: Welcome to another edition of Mister Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and today on the show, um, very, very fortunate to have him here. Uh, we've got um, Wisconsin State Legislator uh, Jonathan Brostoff uh, here. Um, he uh, he's fresh off of a victory. Um, with a new bill that uh, just got passed through the uh, Wisconsin Senate uh, Assembly. Yep. Assembly yep. Um,
1: yeah. Senate's Wednesday, God willing, we'll see how that goes, but sure. I'm
0: hopeful right at this point. Sure, so it got passed through the assembly yeah. and um, it's, a, it's a bill that um, uh, adds protections to uh, the deaf community, the, the interpreters community um, to you know, help uh, protect uh, deaf rights and uh, put interpreters back to work. So, uh, thank you for being here, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, yeah, once again, sorry about the drink. No uh, worries. He requested, he requested the coconut version. Uh, I love coconut. Yeah, do coconut you? water is my Jimmy Jam. Is it? Yes. Um, hmm, that is interesting.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty rare fruit. It's not, not common to these parts, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I guess. Is the coconut version this sweet? No. But it's delicious. Oh, okay. Coconut's my jam. They're just different fruits. Mmm. Um, but... Well, I guess, like, yeah, I could, I could drink a whole can of that, I will admit. I like it. There you go. But, um, yeah, well, usually with the coconut, I usually think of, like, the, the Vita. The coconut oh, water. Oh, sure, that brand.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a whole bunch of different brands. I've been on a mission.
0: Foco's my jam, though. Sure. Sure, sure. Well, keep that in mind. Um, yeah, so, uh, anyway, um... I, so what we talk about in Mister Nice Guy, we talk um, all things love and fear from a creative perspective, from a uh, from a passion perspective, from in your case political perspective. And sure. you're actually um, you're the first person I've had on the show who uh, specifically works in um, state politics. And I'm just nice. really excited to you know hear about uh, the the work you've been doing and and just uh, I guess what's been driving you lately. So. To start, um, so you grew up in Milwaukee,
1: yeah? Not too far from here, matter of fact, a little east of here. Sure. Um, How about you? I'm actually from the Chicago area. Oh, really? Suburbs? South suburbs. Whereabouts? Flossmore.
0: Oh. Um, about 45 minutes south of the Loop.
1: Yeah, my dad grew up in Chicago, um, spent a lot of time, you know, like diversity. Mm, mm. But uh, they all moved, he's, they've all moved out to the suburbs now, and he's up in, uh, moved out to. DC and Madison and Wisconsin, so we're here now. But a lot of a lot of time in the Chicago suburbs area. Sure, sure. My family down there. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, yeah,
0: I came up here um, five years ago for nice. school at UWM, Graduated May of twenty eighteen. Nice. And,
1: uh, this there. is proud panther in sign language. Is it? Oh. You do it. So like your thumb, thumb, to your chest, like proud or pride. It's like proud panther. Panther like two. Yeah. like rawr. Okay. Proud Panther, like yeah, that. Yeah.
0: Okay, sweet.
1: Um, man, uh,
0: that's that's useful. Um, yeah. I'm. Yeah. I. So, in my understanding, is that UWM has a very renowned uh, sign language, like ASL, program. I. Indeed. I had a number of friends that were in that department. Yeah, they
1: do a great job. I was actually there's the uh, the Wisconsin Association for the Deaf is having their annual conference, or biannual conference, rather uh, today, and so I was with. And there's a bunch of the ITP folks from UWM there today, including Pam Conine and Marika. So, oh wow, got to hang out with them earlier. Awesome. But yeah, it's a great program. Um,
0: sure. Yeah. So, um, so I guess like uh, we'll will kind of um, we'll go back to the beginning, and I wanna. By I guess- the way, I just
1: have to. say, You have a great voice for radio. Thank you. I you have appreciate a really good that. radio voice. Thank you very much. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I can totally see your flow. Thank you. Yeah, that's zipping through the air. That means a lot. That's better than saying I have a face
0: for radio, which I've been told like as a joke. But no, you got a great voice for radio. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Um, I I hope to uh, take it somewhere. So you are. Yes. Yeah. Case in point. So, um, so uh, I guess to to begin. Uh, so growing up in Milwaukee, or I guess just in in the area, where do you? I guess where did your interest in um, Uh, pursuing a political career first, uh, I guess, manifest for you?
1: I'd say it began, like, quite early. Um, I mean, I grew up in a family that talked a lot about what was going on in that regard, but um, I think my first engagement was, actually, so I went to uh, I went to school here and I would take the bus home and, you know, part of my high school is over at High School of the Arts off of 23rd and Highland, I think I was taking the 30 home and there used to be these uh you know there's always various advertisements on the bus and on the inside they had those little kind of uh I guess cardboard kind of inserts or whatever um or whatever thick like paper stock and yeah. it was one of those for pathfinders there's a bunch of pathfinders ads at the time there's one on the bus that you know kind of struck us like oh you know youth homeless you know da, da, da. it's like wow you know kind of seemed to just be very effective at me so before cell phones, so I wrote down the number on my arm or whatever and called when I got home and learned more about it and it was uh, so it's eleven seventeen year old shelter over off of, um, the east side and uh, a temporary two weeks shelter and uh, called over there and they happened to have a training program for what they call peer advocates um, or peer volunteers, basically youth who who want to help out there, and so I talked to my parents about, it and they like go for it. So I went over there and um, started volunteering, and then soon thereafter became a paid uh, peer, sure. paid teenage worker there, and that was when I was fourteen. But it was a pretty. Um, Stark contrast, the experience I've seen from other youth my age, you know, again, it's 11, 17 year old I so it's a lot of, you know, folks in the normal my age are uh, such a stark contrast to the environment, neighborhoods I grew up in uh, in Milwaukee, even though it's all the same city mostly yeah. as far as the youth staying there. And it was just a very striking experience, as far as the incredible unfairness that someone who got born into a particular situation versus yeah. someone who got born into a very different situation, even though you're just, you know, a mile away from, or, you know, right. a couple of miles, born yeah. away from each other, whatever it is, um, and through no fault of your own, either the excess privilege or lack thereof that one's granted in those yeah. circumstances. So that kind of, say, opened my eyes, and after a couple of years working there, and especially. Some pretty specific experiences I had there, one you know, made me want to uh, work more in that field, and so I ended up volunteering, working in a bunch of other shelters and social service agencies around the city. And um, then after high school, my the grant for my program was running out, and um, I was looking for another job anyway, but I didn't want to go on to college yet. So before UWM, I did my AmeriCorps service through Public sure. Allies, which was uh, over on the south side at the, at the time the STC Family Support Center which mm-hmm. is a 20, to 30, uh, a 20 bed two to three month family shelter um, but I'd also had experience in other places by then like uh, Casa Maria for example the sure. Catholic workers home so that uh, helped me see the systems in play that were in charge of both resource allocation as well as you know, kind of the rules governing our society, and um, that kind of opened up my eyes to some more opportunities as far as getting involved, and I started volunteering and helping out on campaigns as well as in the office side, so uh, in the city of Milwaukee, sure. uh, both in the mayor's office and the common council uh, for uh, a couple of years, and then over at the county um, and at the state. Uh, and. At the, throughout that time, i have been volunteering on campaigns for people that I respected and thought would do a good job. What was your first campaign? <sighs> the first campaign... Let's see. Um, I think I must have done some... I think my parents cajoled me into something for Al Gore in 2000. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But I was a little bit younger at that time. It's interesting. I got a side story about my brother. If you'd yeah, like to hear, I'd love to. Well, he's uh, he he. My mom wanted to get him into some program for the summer one year when he was, I think, thirteen. It was like uh, like a college for kids or just or some camp or something and she and it didn't the timing didn't work out or whatever logistics so he was home for a summer and she's been you know she's a, a social worker and been running her own business and so she was super busy and um, one day a uh, guy by the name of John Norquist was campaigning for his first time for mayor and so he came by the house and, you know, he's just, like, knocking doors, you know, like, hey, you know, I'm running for mayor. Here's my pitch. And my brother was there at the time when, I think he's like, he was either 12 or 13, but he was home with her. And he answered the door with her. And, she, and this guy presented himself and said, you know, what he was about and blah, blah, blah. My brother started grilling him. And my mom's like, oh, will not you come in? I'll get you some water and we can sit down. And So my brother just, like, straight grilled him for, like, probably 15, 20 minutes and really liked his answers. And was so inspired that he decided on his own initiative to... Hop on the bus every day in the summer and take it down to the south side and help out with whatever he could, so making coffee or doing buttons or folding literature, or whatever the you know campaign needed of a twelve or thirteen year old at the time. And just yeah, on his own initiative, went down our day and learned a lot. Now every time I've seen former mayor Norquest around here, always says, "How's Jacob doing? How's your brother?" So, but my um, not got nothing like that. I, I but the first one I really remember working on, well. I don't know, it has been a lot. I've worked on a lot of campaigns. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> the first couple I really remember was Chris Larson and Sandy Pashes. Uh, Sandy Pashes running for state assembly at the time, and I'd seen her speak at the um, Milwaukee Democratic Party, and she talked about uh, getting um, mental health parity passed in Wisconsin, uh, which is. You know, no longer needed because of Obamacare, but at the time was pretty important and uh, really, I think, forward-thinking for Wisconsin. And she, and she was just really smart and genuine. And so she was kind of the underdog in a four-way primary there uh, against Dan Cole, who recently ran for Congress, uh, Guy from Shorewood, Sandy, and, um, and the dentist. I'm spaced on the other guy's name, but anyway, she was a very big underdog, and we had a great team, and Barb Nordstein and a lot of other wonderful people, Nordstein and a lot of other wonderful people, uh, helped out and were able to win that one. And then Chris Larson was another early one who's now a state senator, but at that time was running for his first county supervisor position as a big parts and transit advocate. And, um, yeah, those are great experiences. And again, didn't take any money and wasn't uh, interested in that. It was more so, these are people I really believe and I want to see in office. Um, But, yeah, I've worked on a bunch of campaigns, uh, even before I ran myself. Um, but those are two of the really early ones I remember quite well.
0: Sure. Mm-hmm. What was the first um, political position you ended up running
1: for? Uh, well, I guess you could say this was it. Um, sure. it's my first elect- I, I Well, I, I ran for college Democrats chair. Oh, sure, yeah. I don't know if that counts, but no, my first one was... Uh, And I won that one, and this was my first race I actually ran for, which is very rare. Most people do not win the first time they run, um, but stuff happens sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Can't can't win if you don't run, as they say. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Yeah, so this is my first one. But like I said, I worked on a lot of campaigns and helped a lot of people, and, you know, through that experience of that grant, I got to see a lot of how things shape out and how they work. Of course. Yeah. So,
0: um, yeah. uh, So. That all being said, um so was this um and this bill that uh just got passed, that was like something that you personally
1: presented, correct? Uh it was a collaborative effort. Uh I put in a lot of work on it, but uh so did the staff from from Representative Skoransky's office. It's been kind of a collaborative effort between me and I would say Skoronsky Cleafish and Teston, probably we all put in the most work, you know, right Thiesfeld. And his staff are helping out as well.
0: Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I guess um, what specifically um, um, made you like really um, like want this uh, this bill to to take form and like what sure. what I guess drew, drew drove you.
1: Well, uh, it's kind of a strange story. Again, I don't believe in coincidence, but when I was one of the internships I had was out in Washington D.C. for uh, then Senator Harkin and. Right off the plane, uh, two of the first people I met who I ended up becoming really close friends with, Christina Hartman and Andrew Phillips, uh, this was in 2005 uh, or so, uh, they became really, really close friends of mine. They both happened to be deaf, and when we hung and we hung out like all the time. We went to the beach, mm-hmm. we went to parties, and we, you know, went, went out to eat together at night, and we just hung out all the time. And I learned a lot about deaf culture, and I also would tell them, like, don't communicate with me, and I want to learn sign language, yeah. so just don't, like, t- communicate, just let me pick it up by just being with you guys and, and um, what do they call that, like immersion, basically, or something yeah. like that, and I go to their parties, hang out with their friends, and I, and I you know, picked it up, and I also had another friend who's a uh, really talented sign language interpreter now, Scotty Allen, and she happened to be out there the same year, so we hung out a lot, but, um... When, so anyway, so that experience, when I got back to Milwaukee, I made more, when I'd see people signing, I'd be like, hey, you know, what's up? And mm-hmm. start, you know, just, you know, kind of making more friends. And, you know, Wendy, I, I made some really close friends throughout uh, my college experience as well. And uh, <clears throat> then, um, in fact, <laughs> one of my friends, Wendy, uh, is very boisterous and a very just full-life personality. We had... Um, I think we had a geography class, a big lecture hall class together. I think it was geography. Anyway, uh, we she as a deaf person, you sit in front because you need to see yeah. the you know interpreters. But anyway, we would sit up front, uh, so we're like way in the front of this huge lecture hall, and we would be we, you can obviously sign without interrupting. You can talk, you can communicate in sign language without interrupting what's going on because it because you don't need to speak for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we would just be kinda of conversating throughout, um, oftentimes and kinda like of blowing it wasn't you know, it was whatever, so it wasn't a hard class and the didn't like the professor very much, but um we were just kinda of like talking back and forth but from time to time, she had this really ridiculously loud laugh that she, I don't think she realized how loud she was being. She'd just be like calling and screaming and laughter in the middle of the thing and yeah. everyone kind of looks, you know, and I'm just cracking up because, you know, I made a joke or whatever and I was just like looking at us. Um, yeah. So that was a fun experience, but yeah, I just made more deaf friends and, and some other interpreting friends as well as so I got yeah. uh, older through my years there through those experiences. and then. When I first ran for office, I was obviously successful and at that time you know around that time when I was first serving and was getting into stuff, I was Um, Then later approached by uh, some friends in both the deaf and interpreting communities because there was uh, two things going on. One is that there was a bill basically singling out sign language interpreting and a few other professions to be eliminated in Wisconsin, which a lot of people didn't like because obviously you want a licensed interpreter to have a minimum set of uh, professional standards and competency as well as some safety standards. And two, and that they'd fought really hard to get that in the first place. And... um, And two, there was, uh, although at the same time a completely different thing going on, in that the, um, it's a long story, but basically the accreditation agency that we outsourced to was um, kind of on the rocks already and then ended up kind of basically blowing up, imploding through some internal fiscal mismanagement some other shady stuff out of nowhere. Right. So there was a moratorium put on licensing through them and you couldn't get new ones and then you couldn't re-up through it, And, then, and which there's already, some would argue, a scarcity issue in Wisconsin uh, and this would immediately, this, this, this would mean a significant portion of the labor force would not be able to practice and new people coming into Wisconsin wouldn't want to come here because there's no future and students who are graduating wouldn't be able to. So it was a whole mess. Yeah. I didn't know anything about this, but the my friends in the deaf and community on both subjects contacted me and said, "Hey, we don't, you know, we don't. They didn't have any like, you know, organization. You know, there's no like lobbyists. There was no, there was nothing, no structure. There, there was some associations, but there was nothing in place to handle this, and therefore there was no kind of champion at the legislative level uh, to." work on these yeah. issues, so I, I was approached from that perspective. Um, again, not that I had any expertise in deaf or hard of hearing issues, or silent interpreting, um, or I'd studied it you know, to any degree or nothing like that, right. but more so from the legislative side, and I um, could help navigate those waters. So, so I was, you killed that already? Yeah, yeah. Holy moly. I, I drink really fast. Oh man, you're beast mode, jeez <laughs> I, louise. Yeah, man, thanks. Well,
0: I'm, uh, I'm notorious for on episodes where like I actually like drink alcohol on the show uh-huh. with my guests Like I spill so much beer because like it's always I was open it and like I'm just drinking it constantly and the subs like start spilling and Interesting,
1: stuff. to what do you attribute that to? Uh... I th- Did you have any like scarcity issues growing up or... I'm just very, I guess
0: I'm just very like neurotic and I'm very like restless all the time I think it's just like a fidgety thing Interesting Yeah, hmm. yeah. but something I learned to embrace
1: Yeah get it man, you do you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what was that? We're talking about the licensure stuff. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, sure. Yeah, so I mean, again, I was kind of bought into for I was brought in from my kind of legislative perspective and help navigate those waters and I helped and, and I immediately realized that, first of all, the Deaf community in Wisconsin did not have, you know, there's kind of like two principles you got to operate off of to get stuff done. You have to either buy off enough politicians to get whatever you want to get done, like what the Foxconn did, or um, you know the Bucks or yeah. uh, whoever. We you see know. a lot of that. Yeah, um, you know, pay you know pay off a ton of lobbyists, whatever that is, yeah. or buy off politicians, whatever you know. Like the Bucks, they had the most expensive, you know, lobbyist expenditures. I think they spent the most on that that session. Or um, different stuff the WMC wants, or whatever, or you just buy off individual politicians as well, uh, or both sometimes. And then if you don't have the money and you're not like a super rich person that wants to just kind of buy off the system or buy out lobbies, or whatever, the other option is you have to just out organize and get enough people on board to have a critical mass to you know get your uh, issue heard. And so yeah. they so certainly the deaf community in Wisconsin is not anywhere near the, you know, capacity to be, you know, hiring a bunch of high-powered, super expensive lobbyists or buying yeah. up politicians or anything like that. So... The other option is organizing, and I realized that we have to build a lot of Deaf power very quickly as well as educate a lot of my colleagues on it, so I helped organize the first Deaf Legislative Day in Wisconsin, which was really successful. We had hundreds of people come out, very active uh, community in that, and lots of legislators come through and staff. And I, I basically just, I'm an organizer kind of at heart, and I basically just started putting things in motion, working with some amazing talent. And, you know, I, I basically like set up the parameters of what needed to be done, helped with a bunch of logistics, helped do a bunch of the it's kind of um, higher level organizing and political organizing, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, as far as the electeds rather. And then um, my partners over at the Wisconsin uh, Association of the Deaf and the Wisconsin Registry for Interpreters of the Deaf. And uh, some other community members and stakeholders all got together, did an amazing job, including, uh, you know, Cookie and Zito and Katie and Katie and Pam and uh, Justin and, and everyone. And, and, shout out uh, all those people. Shout out to all those people. Yeah. Um, this is, sort of, you know, teamwork, you know, make the dream work. But, um, yeah, so, so initially I was kind of met with some, not necessarily hostility, but some at the very least trepidation, at the most kind of ignorance that manifests in a fairly negative way towards um, the fix that we need to do. But after people learned about the issue and heard about it, uh, we were met with a lot of actual uh, support from both Republicans and Democrats. And this is one of the truly completely bipartisan efforts I've ever worked on. This and some um, combat sports regulation, actually, were probably the two biggest, most... uh, Bipartisan ones that I'd worked, you know, heavily on, um, and it was great, and it's been a great process, and I'm hopeful that Thursday, or that Thursday, by that will pass Wednesday and be good to go Thursday. How uh, to schedule the governor's signing of the bill, but um, yeah, it was really just kind of that happenstance. I got off the plane, got my luggage, met. Two incredible people who happened to be deaf and took me into that world and wow. we uh, and then years and I made more friends and years later I got the job I got now and needed to and they needed someone who and that's the other thing is I don't know a ton about deaf culture and I'm not even like right. you know I could not interpret myself or you know like sign language I'm maybe conversational but not like at that level at all. Fluent. Yeah, yeah. so I um But that being said, I'm heads and above all of my colleagues in this regard, and so there had to be a lot of education done to get people, oh yeah, I didn't realize that that's such a barrier for deaf people, oh yeah, I didn't, you know, because again, it's not necessarily malicious, it's more so just, it's just something you would, it's not something you deal with, you know, it's just a different, you know, kind of context in that regard. So, um... After busting tail on it, doing tons of research and traveling the state, and meeting with deaf people from all, from rural areas and urban areas and exurban areas and suburbs, and doing a ton, a ton of ton work on this, we were able to get some good language between the interpreting and the hearing communities and get the compromises we needed to get to get it through. And um, and, a, and again, big shout out to Representative Skaronski, Thies, Felt, Cleefish, Senator Teston, Senator Johnson, Latanya Johnson. Uh, they they were incredibly helpful. Sure. Um, I think so. That's. I mean, it has been a labor love, and that's the other yeah. thing too. It's like this is a you know. It's it, you know we were able. So the other bill that was going to go after sign language interpreters, we were able to defeat that one which, you know, that's a huge... Even the, I should write a book on all this stuff, because that's a huge undertaking. We, the odds were very much stacked against us, and I did 90... You know, as any of my colleagues will test, I did the heavy lifting on that one was able to defeat it, I think, through hustle and muscle on my own, but that, as well as being able to go this far, as far as, you know, a deaf bill like this, and other words, not eliminating the professional actually making it much better, it was a huge lift, a huge grind, and a... Um, and, and it was a lot of things that all came together, yeah. including my strategizing, I would say, saying hard work on it, a lot of incredibly dedicated people and their hard work and their input, a lot of expertise by people who have been in the field for years who or incredible instructors or uh, professionals in other regards or uh, consumers or whatever and with a lot of lived experience and just a lot of great organizing and we were able to, yeah, just move mountains, which is really unique um, and shows that the potential for the best of politics is possible mm-hmm. still even given all the other crap going on Yeah, it's, it's kind of phenomenal
0: how you say how like you know actually knowing people that are deaf that um, rely on sign language interpretation to communicate mm-hmm. like moved you so much that like kind of enticed you to be you know to uh, be passionate about this and want to see it forward because I can kind of relate I um I never knew any deaf people growing up really. Um, but when I got to college, um, UWM has pretty small Greek life, but I was in um I was in AEPI and um Sigma Chi, another one of the fraternities, they had like I think yeah, they had three deaf guys that were in Oh, interesting. Yeah, that were in the fraternity and it's
1: and like is Sigma Chi is that the engineer one? Or? No, no, no. They're a social fraternity. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So but, I, I never did Greek life. So I'm, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Most gotcha. it, it's foreign to anyone who doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah. But so the three, so they, like, because there were three deaf people in in the fraternity, like it was kind of part of. Um, it was like part of the um, the specific chapters. Um, like constitution or something, or like it, it got it got like amended into their constitution once those guys joined. That like everyone in the fraternity like has to learn some degree of sign language. Oh, really? Yeah. Holy and, moly! And I and I think that if, if there's anything brotherly um, about a fraternity, it's something like that. Like oh, actually, yeah. that's what's up. After actually, looking after, uh, or I, I guess actually like accommodating like, everyone in the room so that we can all, like, you know, actually act like brothers and everything like that, and I think it's amazing, and I, I mean, so I never really, like, knew the guys super well, but I would, like, come across them at parties sometimes. Nice. And, um, and, but, like, I couldn't just, like, talk and, like, get to know them, obviously, so I had, there was usually, like, you know, some of their brothers or friends that were around us that could always like if I did want to like say something to them or you know whether it was like taking a picture with them or I just wanted to say something um my uh, someone I knew close by that could interpret would relay that message to them and Hell yeah. And that was just like it, I don't know it was really beautiful and it inspired Absolutely. me it inspired me to like want to you know learn ASL at some point I haven't like, actually, get put down the time to do it yet, but that's something I want to do. I, mean, I yeah, like, I, 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 I always struggled with, like, learning, like, a, you know, a spoken language yeah. growing up. Like, I took Spanish in high school, but I didn't, I mean, I've retained some of it, but not enough to hold a conversation sure. in it. But I feel like, I don't know, like, sign so language is, it can,
1: American Sign Language can be, like, intuitive, but it can, it can, it's, it's, for me, it's a little harder because it has unique grammatic and technical structure of like close to maybe like Hebrew or German, but it's a great language. It's very much worth checking there out. Uh, and actually, there's someone Bryce does a podcast out of uh, River West. He has a Packers podcast, okay, yeah. but he's a Coda, child of deaf adults, and he's fluent sign language interpreter. Um, can I at him? Yeah. Well. Fellow podcaster. Hey. Coming for you,
0: Bryce. Yes. Um, so uh, I guess um, for the sake of uh, just so people understand what specifically the provisions for this bill sure.
1: provide. So basically, this there's a couple things uh, that this bill does. There's a there's um, some updates to the scope of practice, and that's one of the biggest components of it. So, for example, there was someone who. There's different settings in which you'd do interpreting, and they've been kind of broken down in this regard to what's known as quote unquote high risk and low risk settings. and there might be some settings where you're well equipped to handle the information that you're relaying and perfectly fine, such as uh, I don't know some like community event or church stuff or whatever uh, where you're 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 doing your thing. but that might be very different than, say, a much more technical field, like legal setting, and also yeah. where the stakes are higher. So obviously, in legal interpreting, there's very specific terminology that's and that's not only very specific to that field, but the consequences of a lack of absolute precision in that regard could be dire in certain circumstances, for example. Well, anyway, I can give some examples, but you you basically want to make sure that this, so this bill tightens up the scope of practice and gives more clear, Defined roles for what people are qualified to do, what when, where, as far as interpreting, which is very important. It also fixes it, it um, in essence, breaks the moratorium that I mentioned earlier on sign language interpreters. So people who need to re-up or who need to start their um, who need to start interpreting, get their test done, are going to be able to. Uh, whereas right now a bunch of people are out of work, and about and a significant portion of the labor force, if this isn't fixed soon, is going to be put out of work as well. And not only that, but aside from just putting those people out, new people again are not going to want to, or, or are not going to want to, or can't enter the field in Wisconsin. I'm mm-hmm. um, not just people from other states coming here, but also like, why would you go to school for interpreting if there's no path here? Uh, so anyway, so it fixes that and allows uh, interpreters to get back to work, and also puts in additional provisions that provide protection for deaf individuals, um, such as, uh, if someone was interpreting without a license before, the only way you could go after them is through the DAs, and that never has happened. That's really, they, they, you know, they're at capacity with other stuff, and they're not really, you know, gonna do that, so this affords another opportunity to go after that, and also, um, kind of updates one of the committees or councils that, uh, is to provide input from stakeholders to the uh, Department of State Professional Services, which is the uh, agency within the state government that does the, like, you know, oversight and rules promulgation for licenses and uh, kind of gives some more balance towards the deaf community um, as far as that. So, yeah, so it defines the rules, especially for legal, medical, and mental health, Uh, Interpreting and clearly defines the scope of practice. It gets interpreters back to work and breaks more time, and it provides some additional important protections to the deaf community. And I would say those are kind of the three main points. But it does even more. I would say from a more from a meta standpoint, it allows the opportunity to one get a victory for the deaf community, which is very different than like I mean, I'll tell you for example, give an example when we first had our legislative day, I had a bunch of people come to me and say things to the effect of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I get to actually talk with a politician. Like, I never thought I could do that before. Which, yeah. to a sense, they're trying to, like, thank me or compliment or something like that, maybe. But actually, it's almost a really sad statement if you think about it. It's like, well, why shouldn't you have access to your elected official? You're their boss. They're your employee, in essence. Why shouldn't you get to, you know, have that access? You didn't even yeah. think that's possible before this. You know, before it came to legislative day, it's like, that's not right. But... This sort of thing is incredibly, I think, empowering and also help build momentum towards other issues we need to work on, such as uh there's some deaf mental health stuff I'm working on, there's some mm-hmm. VRI stuff, there's stuff around uh capturing in movie theaters and there's some stuff around uh like what Hawaii did, there's some stuff around um access for our aging deaf population in Wisconsin and for uh, hours for uh, clinical hours for like social workers or psychologists or whatever mm-hmm. um, for deaf social workers, deaf psychologists, mm-hmm. for example. Um, so there's a myriad of other things that, have, that that I think will be unbottlenecked to a certain degree, and will have more momentum form once this passes. And this has also shown that there is significant support for deaf Wisconsinites among the legislature because it passed unanimously in the assembly, and I think it's probably going to pass unanimously in the Senate. Uh so it so anyway so it it does what it does but I think it does a little bit more as well. And if it does you shave your head. Yes. Thank God. I uh <laughs> it's kind of funny how that whole thing came to be. So we worked on this bill for years and we ran into a pretty big snafu last time around where it's, it's a long story, and it's going to make me mad just even think about but basically, we got derailed late in the process with some poison pill amendments that were forced on us last minute, and it blew everything up. Um, wow. So, when that was happening, people were, the stakeholders I was with, were really upset, understandably so. They'd done everything right. They poured their heart and soul into it. The legislators got it. We had support. We had the votes. We couldn't, couldn't proceed, though. And a lot of them as the deaf community who not only had been disenfranchised through other experiences in society because of just daily life and stuff of that nature, but now feel like they're also being just... You know, kicked in the shins again by a, lot, a bunch of these hearing lawmakers uh, were really upset. And we were out to dinner, and I said, you know, we all got to ready to talk about what happened and, and figure this out. And we all got, you know, it was about, I don't remember how many, it was maybe like 30 of us, and we all went out and we talked about it, and everyone was really just not in a good place. Understandably so. And I, myself, as well, was very upset. Right. But I said, look, I'm, you know, I'm not done with this. And we're not done with this. This will get done, and we're gonna figure this out, and we're gonna learn from what happened. But we have to get this done because every day it's not getting answered in the deaf community, and we're gonna figure this out. So I'm making, I'll make a commitment to everyone here. I'm not cutting my hair until this is done, and in deaf culture, it's even also kind of like a visual indicator. But yeah, um, so I said, so I said, you know, every time you see me, you're gonna be reminded, you're gonna be reminded that hey, we're still working on this, and until this is done, he's not cutting his hair, and. Then on top of that, I'm going to be reminded every time I have to take that extra 20 minutes, you know, you know, wash my hair off or, yeah, right. you know, from the shower or every time I'm yeah. looking in the mirror and, and I'm going to be reminded, hey, don't sleep on this. Every day you're in office, you should be working on making this better and fixing it. And not only that, but... To a certain degree, politicians are supposed to look very like clean cut and very you know. Right. Uh, there's a whole thing, you know, especially so that typical with, workplace etiquette. Exactly. Involved, yeah. Exactly. That's a great way to say it. So, it's even more so because the profession I'm in, you're really expected to keep a clean workplace etiquette, and you know, people are gonna make all sorts of fun of me and all this and that, and you know, it is what it is. But uh, that'll be even more motivation to get it done. You know, all the Larry curly mo stuff yeah, references yeah, yeah, yeah. or all the Bob Ross, whatever, whatever. It's more motivation. So mm-hmm. um so it was really just kind of a I don't know, like a compact or something between us where I just said, look, this is for you. You're gonna see me. We're gonna it's like our little code. Every time you see me, you're gonna remember, all right, we're still working on this, we're gonna get this done. We're not over, you know, right. da 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 and I think one of my Republican colleagues on the floor was like busting my chops and, and mentioned it to a reporter who Told another reporter who ended up calling me later and saying, hey, is this true? Is this what's going on? I want to do a story on this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So he came over and took some pictures and did a story on it. And then it kind of somehow like went to, you know, the Hill, you know, picked up on it and then Huffington Post. And then it kind of blew up all over. But it really wasn't a public thing. It's not like in protest or anything, although it was misreported as such in some of those news stories. It was more so just, you know, this is my to you and to myself. The organized. solidarity thing. Yeah, and you know, yeah. So I'm, and also I just really, I really don't like having long hair. Yeah. So it's annoying for me uh, in a lot of ways. And it I never did either. Yeah, I like buzz cut, keep it short. I've yeah. done that since, you know, for a decade, or for years and maybe decades, but, um, but I'll be very happy to get it all cut off and, think we'll have like a shearing party for it or something I'll right. invite you uh, when yes that on. love that but uh, there's actually a deaf uh, barber who reached out to me and said she'd love to help out in any so I think we'll be doing it with her with Kayla so um, yeah that's that's coming up but yeah kind of all just got blown up out of proportion I suppose you know, yeah. people want to make a circus out of it, but it's right. more so just an internal commitment to the community that hey, get this done until it gets done, I ain't done so. And when is the Senate hearing? That'll well the the hearing will be Tuesday, but uh, because of the extraordinary circumstances wonder and the incredibly narrow schedule that we have for four session days both in the Senate and the Assembly, I believe that it's will hopefully take it up the next day, uh, at, on Wednesday as a uh, pulling motion from the floor um, so so Wednesday we'll sure. it'll have the full Senate vote as opposed to going through a Senate committee hearing, then the exact session then the floor sure. sometime like October or something see. Um, so that's the plan sure. um, God willing, you know, much as it takes the cup and the lips, but I'm hopeful that we'll get it done this time and we have a lot of you know, like I said, pass unanimously in the assembly yeah. something this substantive rarely passes unanimously in the assembly um, and I think I got to give the first speech uh, in sign language on the floor, too, so I was kind of cool. Oh, wow. That is cool. Yeah. So I did that yesterday. Awesome. Yeah. Well, good
0: stuff, man. Um, Thank you. So another, uh, another issue that's um, really been on uh, a lot of our minds lately uh, is uh, you know, kind of what's been going on in, the, in southern states you know, with uh, women's right, reproductive rights being compromised or limited, taken away and I've heard talk about the fact that it's uh, it's at risk here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like? I, I guess uh, it'd be good to know. I guess kind of what's going on. Like, is it something that like we really need to worry about right now? Like, you know, things. No. Or
1: like- um, yes and no. No, in Wisconsin we have a Democratic governor who's going to veto. Who already vetoed the four today, but he will be. He's kind of like the goalie, I suppose, for that stuff sure. metaphorically. Uh, and we don 't have a veto proof majority in either house to override in both houses or in either to override sure. its vetoes, so no um, although different groups kind of try to make it sound like that so they can do like fundraising and kind of give like, people amped yeah. up but no it 's not it 's not an issue like that in Wisconsin because we have a democratic governor that has the power of having a Demo- of having oh, so the governor 's right. office. Yes, it's a threat, and that the whole nation is in threat because uh, they're going to overturn Roe v. Because they they've stacked the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, such that they're basically why is this happening at state level right now, and why is it so aggressive? The Republicans had full control of Wisconsin very recently. They could have done all these bills and had Walker sign through without because of the gerrymandering, they had total control. They could have done all this quickly if they wanted to, He'd done whatever they wanted really, but. Now, with the Supreme Court makeup the way it is, uh, and after the seat the seat that was stolen uh, through the power grab by McConnell, uh, the Merrick Garland, they're able to um, try and push all these, get one that's extreme and that's that's worded correctly to get in front to work its way through the court system to eventually overturn Roe v. Wade. And they've been very outspoken about those plans. Mm I would say it's not secret, but that's what's happening. So we're threat of risk for that as far as reproductive rights and women's health, but uh, no, in Wisconsin, it's, sure. it's, uh, we have a democratic... we have Everse. And if slash when Roe v. Wade was overturned,
0: what would that look like um, in the scope of women's it's hard, reproductive it's
1: rights? It's hard to know. It's hard to know the time. It's, it's, it's hard to predict something like that because a lot can happen. We could have Elizabeth Warren for president by then and she... and actually Roe v. Wade is kind of a bad way of doing it. It should be something... That's, it should be something handled by the judiciary. I think it should be something. It's something, you know, and especially nowadays we've realized through all the poll, you know, it's something that's that's popular. People want access to health rights uh, and reproductive health rights, but women's health. But um, but it's probably something that should be handled in one of the other branches and will be more. Uh, in you know, I mean, no one ever thought about it because we had such control, you know, because the Supreme Court was balanced for years and it wasn't this extremist right wing, yeah, um, rubber stamp that it is now. So now we're like having to deal with it, but actually, you know, and Elizabeth Warren has made a really good point on this as well, and she should get credit for it, but uh, probably should be handled in a more appropriate process, uh, for a multitude of reasons, but uh, but it's hard to predict. I mean, it, it's it, there's it. Who knows? You know, we could end up in a Handmaid's Tale situation, government something like that, or we could end up with something where uh, it spurs to action a lot of people to really push involvement to really get get moving and to fix. You know, if, if we had a you know, for example, if we had a voter turnout in our non-presidential elections of. 80%, and we had voter on our presidential, like 90%, we'd never have to worry about any of this stuff. There'd be yeah. overwhelming numbers of people who spoil, you know, it, it, right. it wouldn't be an issue. Um, but something like this might just spur people into action to uh, take, you know, to win back parts of the government that uh, we've lost, to win back states we've lost, to, uh, you know, push legislation that, uh, you know, favors women's health and women's rights. So so it's hard to say. Um I'm not in the predicted business after Trump got elected, I don't know. Right, yeah. Yeah, in that regard. Yeah, but, well, I think that um, this is good
0: to know for a number of friends, uh, fellow, um, you know, politically minded people that might be watching this that just know that at least it's good in our own state, in our home state, that you know we're we're in good hands with the Evers
1: and kind of. I mean, that's the other thing to think about too is if people really care about this, they're asking you about it. Then they need to step up their involvement, whatever that is. Yeah. If they've you know if they vote in every other election, if they vote in every election, if they volunteer on one campaign, they volunteer on two, if they you know people got to people got to start stepping up, whatever that looks like. Yeah. You know, for some people, it's making more calls or just you know whatever, whatever it is, whatever anyone's personal engagement level is. They, if if there's something you care about, do something it's about. It. That's more. something the Republicans have done a great job. They always turn out every single one of them. They don't have the numbers, but they have the consistency mm-hmm. of of their base to always basically show up and make it happen. Yeah. And that's how it happens. So again, this is not an observing like, oh wow, that's interesting how that's going down. Da, da, da. Wow, lucky. I, no, ain't no luck involved. If you see about something be about something and if you if you don't then you won't then it's just like okay well i'm not participating in this and whatever happens to me happens to me, whatever happens to me happens to me and you just you know it's it's worse than tossing a coin yeah. you're basically letting other people make incredibly important decisions over your life livelihood and that's not healthy or appropriate unless you don't trust yourself to make your own decisions but in that case you really shouldn't have an opinion on this stuff right of course yeah yeah all
0: right all right jonathan brostoff um, man, <laughs> yeah, the glow there. Uh, Jonathan, what keeps you up at night?
1: My son now, he's, uh, okay. he, he does this funny thing with his head. He's dead asleep and he goes like, Mrah, <laughs> Mrah, <laughs> Mrah. and he'll do, and he'll make this little funny noise and, he, and he'll, yeah. if, he'll, you know, we, we co-sleep and he'll kick a lot and he's just like, Mrah, Mrah, Mrah. so uh, he's keeping me up and uh, lots of changes. We do the reusable diaper thing. So every changes. Oh, yeah. Uh, longer process uh oh. but yeah it's my son and love him and best job ever and i'm very thankful he does and I'm happy to have him
0: well hey boaz hopefully one day when you watch this you'll love you buddy yeah we love you out here uh, uh and then uh what puts you to sleep
1: uh knowing that i have an awesome loving family and say my wife and son are very comforting to me and help me chill out when, when stuff's get me down a little bit, so I'd say that's right. my kind of comfort support system. Good. Um, but uh, do you remember Proud Panther?
0: Um, it's...
1: Pride? Yeah. And then Panther. Yeah, there you, there you
0: go. You go. <laughs> Thank, thanks for being on the show, man. Love it. Um, so I, for one, am sick of my friends and family constantly in fear that you know their rights are gonna be taken away or limited or otherwise restricted, so vote. Amen. Just vote. Thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We'll see you next time. Adios. Two, three,